So, any questions tonight? What is the relationship between Shastra and Krishna's form? Mm-hmm. Well, Shastra describes Krishna's form in many places and glorifies it. So in that sense, it is a revealer of Krishna's form. And it is a form of the word, if you will, the sound. And the um, kind of original Vedic mantra as the and sound is Om, Om. All the scriptures, all the shastras contained within the Om and then expands out from there. So in that sense, Om is the sound, sound of the Godhead. And it's explained in different ways. Hmm. The Gaudiya's Jiva Goswami explained it. It's made of three letters, A, U, and M, as Krishna, Radha, and the Jivas. Mm. A, Krishniti, Bachaka, U, 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 M. I think the M, I can't remember the exact way in which the three letters have been determined by him, or understood by him, to represent Radha and Krishna and, and the living beings. But in any, there are many ways in which the pranava omkar is explained, but basically it's the sound form of God. So it's kind of the name of God. So in a way, in an expanded way, if you will, the whole Shastra is, is the sound representation of God, the sound that represents with the Godhead. Obviously now when we speak of the sacred text there, the Shruti, which is, means it's been, to be heard, which means it's been uttered by God, so it's coming directly from them. And then there's the Smriti, which are the texts that, having heard, they're remembered and reiterated and so on, and it gets extended, right? Hmm. Um, excuse me, but in the purest um, since the um, the uh, the Veda, the sound, the Shabda, the Upanishads, they're said to be Aparusheya. They have no uh, human origins, and so they're they're again the sound representation. God can be can be known through through sound, through the logos. Um, so that's one way um, to. To uh, think about it, therefore, it can be heard, listened to, the mantras, and bring about revelation and experience of the person of the Godhead, Bhagwan. It's um, thought, of course, and for good reason, that God is beyond sound. And sometimes we say that as well. He's beyond language, beyond thought. Ineffable, right? So, you would, can you say 
about God with the limit of sound, of words. Therefore, the Advaitins, they think that the scriptures are sounds that constitute lakshanbriti, means indirect sounds talking about the Absolute because you can't directly talk about him. It's not contained in sound. Lakshanbriti means like to give the classic example, oh, um, Anandamai's house is on the Ganges, just down there. So, you know it's not on the Ganges, it's on the bank of the Ganges, but it's a manner of speech that we say it's on the Ganges. Her house is on the Ganga. And, you know, you point towards the Ganga. No, no one goes down the middle of the river looking for the house floating there or something like so it's on the bank so there are there's the um, Mukibriti and Lakshambriti Lakshambriti or sometimes it's maybe referred to as um, well by different terms but the same that's idea the direct meaning and then the indirect meaning and there's other meanings in between as well but to make it brief and with reference to the Dwaitans, then they say all the sounds in the sacred texts in the Shastra describing Bhagavan are only indirect, or the absolute, or indirect, because you can't, sound can't directly capture him or represent him. So, um, that said, the Gaudi position is of course, that statements in the scripture should only be interpreted in terms of Lakshanbriti when the Mukhibriti is, is obviously not applicable, the direct meaning. Hmm. And um, some of them may say, fine, but we have to use the Lakshanbriti and, and understand the scriptures in this way when it speaks about the Godhead, the Absolute, Brahman, hmm? because you can't directly speak about him. He's ineffable. So all the statements must be indirect. And therefore, descriptions of the form of God and so forth, these are all indirect and they're not re- really... I mean, the implication of the further that they take it is it's it's it's... It's, it's a way of speaking about God with reference to qualities and so forth that is of the nature of this world, of illusion, hmm, um, that we might get a handle on it and then go beyond it to the ineffable and be silenced forever, sit in silence, peace forever. Nam Rupa, the world's made up of names and forms, hmm. sounds that correspond with forms, such as the world, and the reality is silence. Hmm. So, this is how they make their case. Now, the Gaudias obviously have a different perspective on that. While we agree that the Absolute is ineffable, hmm. beyond sound, um, 
words having gone there, return, thoughts going and gone there, return, and so forth. Um, I quoted a verse from the Purana the other day, Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabhavid Grahimindri. With material senses, you cannot experience uh, Krishna. But he is experienceable, nonetheless, through serving ego and so forth. Sevan Mukhe Jivado, And Sevan Mukhe means the service, service at Sevan Mukhe Hijibado. Jivado means beginning with the Jiva, with an H, not the Jiva. Jiva means the tongue. And the implication is by placing the name on the tongue. Ado, beginning with this. That in a serving attitude, hmm, with a serving ego, that this that this material senses become spiritualized by what we refer to as spiritual sound. So, it's for it's very important to make an argument from the Gaudiya point of view for the reality of the to test of the excuse me the um, swarup shakti, swarup shakti. Hmm which then gives us a transcendental idea of the form of the Godhead and reason to take the statements about his form directly because now he has a form and qualities that are nirguna, that are beyond the modes of nature. He has emotional reality that that's, may look similar to ours, but worlds apart. Hmm? It's derived from his own internal shakti, not anything outside of himself, like the Maya Shakti, as our emotional life is derived from in conjunction with our ourselves. So, uh, if that's taken out of the picture, then the Advaitins have some case to be made. But if we put the, if we bring the Sarup Shakti into the picture as the Bhagavatam does, then um, there's a place for an emotional life for God for a form of God, for leelas, and so on and so forth. And then there's every reason to take the statements about him uh, directly rather than indirectly. There's a, you have to enter it with a, with a premise to take it indirectly. Now if the premise is that the Godhead can't be described by words alone, well, we agree with that. But that means... It, that is within, with reference to what? To mundane sound. But we've already said the Godhead has spiritual qualities, right? Spiritual emotion, spiritual movement, spiritual form, spiritual qualities, spiritual movement, lila. And so there are also spiritual sound. There's mundane sound and then there's spiritual sound. So we don't take the Shastras to be, for example, sattvic, hmm? or Ishwar, God, to be a sattvic manifestation of Brahman. It's temporary, used as a focus point to get beyond and to that which is beyond conception, hmm? beyond word, thought, and so forth. Hmm? Yes, God is beyond word and beyond thought, but he has much to say, and he has and does a lot of has a vivid imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
and and we say and the scriptures are speaking about that and that sound then is spiritual if it has no material author a parusheya then it must not be mundane it must not come from within within the gunas um, of course they would say it's a manifestation of brahman within the sattva guna that's their way to an idea, but that's a made-up idea. It's not. There's no place in the scripture that 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 uh, that uh, makes these two types of Brahman, the Nirguna Brahman and the Saguna Brahman. That's uh, the Saguna being a sattvic manifestation of Brahman that we can again get a handle on. That talks about Godhead in ways in reference to things that we're familiar with, so that we can get focused and then go beyond it. And, leave it all uh, behind. Hmm? That's an interesting idea, but it's not what the scriptures say. Indeed, they speak about an eternal form of Godhead, repeatedly for that matter. Hmm? And so there is spiritual sound. There's the sound of God. Om is the sound of God. So the idea is that with the descent of bhakti hmm, comes also the for example, the name of Krishna hmm? and um, the sound, hmm? and and this is then um, these sounds are manifestations of the Swarup Shakti, by which coming on to our senses, trans. There's a trans. We talked about the other transubstantiation, transmutation of the material senses in such a way that they become spiritualized and then God can be perceived with spiritualized senses. And Jivado, beginning with the tongue by taking the name or the sounds um, and so forth hmm. of uh, ascribing the Godhead. So we have a whole idea like this of spiritual sound and uh, while it is said that again that God is beyond words and description, some will conclude therefore that there is his transcendence is silent, and the others will conclude that there's not enough that can be said about him. And so words can never adequately even the spiritual sounds will forever be glorifying him, and so on and so forth. So, so there's a place for spiritual sound and a spiritual means, if you will, to a spiritual end, rather than a sattvic means, which would be mundane, as good as it is, to a spiritual end. We don't follow that that logic. That's why we say bhakti is required for any kind of mukti. Because karma functions under the rajaguna and knowledge is identified with the sattva guna. So knowledge and ignorance are both aspects of the material world. And then there's bhakti. Obviously there's a kind of knowing or knowledge in bhakti, but this is nirguna. And so as high as we can go within the influence of sattva guna is to become, become introspective. What, what makes the human introspective is the influence of sattva guna. And so, pursuing that, he can he can come to 
distinguish between matter and spirit, himself and the body-mind complex, and and so on and so forth. But to transcend, then, and to enter into Brahman, or to have a relationship with Bhagavan, this requires bhakti, which is a wholly descending um, means, spiritual means, for um, for deliverance. So something like that, this is a, a general idea. And again, scripture reveals the form of God, so in that way it can be identified in many respects with the form of God. And I've gone, you know, to the core, to the front of Omkara. Obviously there are many statements, and as I say, beyond the Shruti, the Smriti, the Puran, the Itihasas, and so many expanded um, uh explanations, I guess you could say, reiterations in different form of the implications of the original sounds. Um, you have the, you know, the personified Vedas is a nice chapter in the Bhagavatam, the 10th canon, the prayers of the personified Vedas, waking up the Vishnu with sound and uh, glorifying him and so forth. He doesn't awaken to mundane sound. And of course, those sounds, those prayers, are all explaining his transcendental nature and so forth. And in effect, um, they're speaking about the transcendental nature of themselves, the Shruti, the Veda. Hmm. So, something like that. Does that help? Yeah. What else? Uh, yeah, what... Uh some, I have a question regarding the, uh, the secondary rasas, or any rasas, and then I've uh, heard some people say that perhaps if any rasa is secondary rasas being inherent in the jiva, or any rasa being inherent in the jiva, in terms of taste, you know, the jiva in the material world. My question is that. Question not clear. Bhakti rasa is the only real rasa. You have a mundane sense of taste. Rasa means taste. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pursuing tastes. And we may have tastes that look like bhakti, but they're not centered on Bhagwan. They're not inherent in ourselves. They can you have a taste for in vanilla inherently in, in, in the Atma? If you've never had any experience of vanilla, how will that ever, you know, happen? Or chocolate, right? So you have to have the experience of them to have a taste for them. And where is vanilla and chocolate? Is it in the Atma? Or is it in the world? So it's a combination of the of the modes, right? Hmm. The flavors, tastes, the variety of the world, and so on and so forth. So, I call it an environment. So, we're like a crystal. Now, what happens if you take a crystal and you put it next to a red rose? It becomes red. Now, what happens if you put it next to a yellow rose? Yellow. It becomes yellow. Hmm. So, the jiva... What, when placed 
in the material environment, it's going to take on, uh, apparently, they don't become inherent, but by way of identification through the, through the false ego, different colors, the colors of Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva. Hmm. Sattva is like white, so it's kind of like clear, something like that. Anyway, so Thomas is, say, say dark, black, so it ob- obscures, and, and Rajas is in between. It, 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 it agitates. Hmm. You have contentment, discontentment, and delusion in the human psyche. And the, 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 the Bhagavad's idea is that the, what's in the psyche has a manifestation in nature, in the physical world. The physical world comes out of the psychic world. And so, because we see discontent, we see contentment, discontentment, contentment, discontent, and delusion in the psyche, there must be influences hmm, in nature that correspond. And that means Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas. So Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas are psychologically manifest and physically manifest. And this is the gunas. This is the, the, the you know, the, the basic makeup of material nature, these, these influences. So they have influence upon us when we identify through the uh, through the hunkar false ego with material nature, and so then we have likes and dislikes, tastes and distastes. We have friendship, we have romantic love, we have all kinds of tastes, right? Mm-hmm. But this, and and of course, in the secular literature of Indian aesthetics, then all these are called rasas, the emotional peaks, if you will, of, of material life that have the ability to to dominate one. Um, and at the same time, the Gaudi position is that there's, none of these things are really rasa, they're all just, just uh, kind of... Um, Shadows of real, real rasa, and if there's any, Jiva Goswami says, if there's any real rasa in the material world, it's vibhatsa, which is one of the secondary rasas, which is discussed, because that's what we can continually experience, <laughs> and because it, that's like the bottom line. You get into it for a while, it's good, and then you get, you know, just like I've said before, pick out your favorite song, and now we'll put you in a room and make you play it. How long will you listen to it before you just just want to break that record and you can't stand it? Hmm. it you become disgusted with it. So the, the more you indulge in anything, hmm, then you get this disgust. So he said that's the only real rasa of the world. Hmm. Otherwise, our idea of rasa really is, is bhakti rasa, right? So all in relation to Krishna. So there's no rasa in the material world as we talk about it, what, whatsoever. And and for that matter, there's no spiritual rasa inherent in the jiva either, first, primary, secondary, anything of the sort, because the jiva is like a crystal. Now, if you put that crystal next to sakya rasa, next to madhurya rasa, then it's going to take on that, 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 that influence. Hmm? And when we have come under that influence, 
And we then respond to that influence by our efforts to cultivate it. That's the Krishnanushilanam, the culture of bhakti. That's our will expressing itself, itself in relation to the opportunity and the environment that we've been presented with. So when you have these two things, then you have the basic current of Madhurya Rasa, for example, the jivas responding to it with its will. And in the context of its response, with its will, in higher stages of that response, then it starts to become particularized, detailed. Personality and so forth and so on. And personality has desires. So the will is expressed then. We find the coward voice telling Krishna, we, hmm, we want there's some tall fruits, they're so sweet that the aroma is filling the forest, but we can't go there because Denikasur, the ass, is there with his friends. He won't let anybody in. We want to taste those tall fruits. Hmm. So Krishna's very pleased with that. Because they're, all their desires, their satya sankalpa, their spiritual life is... Perfection is not desireless. It's full of spiritual desires, which means all kinds of desires, but they're all arising in the context of the Sarup Shakti, which is an environment wholly dedicated to pleasing Krishna's senses. Hmm? So from the Beta perspective, the Abeda perspective, all the liberated muktas, all the muktas in, in Leela, are just uh, vehicles, kind of, through which Bhagawan is tasting so many things. Hmm. You understand? From the Abeda perspective, hmm, then the Jeevas have their own desires. Hmm. They have their own desires, but their desires are are, are coming due to in relation to the environment. The environment is totally dedicated to Bhagwan, entirely. Hmm? So it's him playing himself out through them, and all of his, his desire to taste, and the one being many, and and so forth. And then from the other vantage point, it's them hmm? um, with their wills playing themselves out. In an environment in which, which is only the only opportunity that's being presented through the environment is to please Krishna. Hmm? That's what the Sarup Shakti is. It's completely dedicated and it has a whole manifest world. Hmm? Hmm. Everything moving, breathing, whatever, for the pleasure of, of Bhagwan. Hmm? So there. That's what we call bhakti rasa. So Krishna's friends, they say the mukta is satya sankalpa. Whatever he desires in leelas, he can have. Because whatever Bhagwan wants, he has, right? Whatever Krishna has, wants is a reality. And they want only to please him, and they want something. It's curious, obviously. <laughs> they want something, I'm the friend of Krishna, and I want—I have a desire for this. Hmm? But because they're the friend of Krishna, for example, whatever they want, he wants. That's also the nature of, of love. 
So depends how you look at it. It's his desires. It's their desires. It's 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 both. But the, all their desires are being fulfilled because their desires are only to, only for the pleasure of, of Bhagwan. So it's a real world, and the jiva has will, and the will is has an opportunity to express itself in relation to the bhakti environment. So it does, and two units of will will act unpredictably in relation to their environment. So you have particulars about each devotee in the spiritual world, right? Because the will is functioning in relation to the environment that presents itself and reacting differently. Each, each reaction to the, to the environment is wholly spiritual, wholly for the pleasure of Bhagawan, but therefore you have different types of coward boys and gopis, and there are different people with different desires, and uh, it's a whole world. Do you follow? Hmm. It's a whole world. In other words, it's looked at on, on the surface. People are doing what they want to do, and... <laughs> Uh, and so forth, but all what they want to do is all centered. It's like perfect, perfect communism, all for the state. Everyone's only moving for and thinking for the state, and, and they appear to have their own personal desires, and they do. But at the same time, they only desire things that will please Bhagwan. So there's an individual desire to please him in one way or another way, and all there are is opportunities to please him. That's what the environment presents. Hmm. That's all there is. Hmm. So they're choosing from the environment, so to speak. And, hmm. So there's uh, so that but in the material world, then the will is also expressed. But the more the will and the jiva, who has will, is covered by the modes of nature, hmm, the less the will, in a sense, can be operative or free. You see, the modes aren't doing anything. I mean, they're doing everything, but they're not making choices. The modes are presenting choices to someone. It's not material nature that liberates us. It's ourselves willing in relation to the opportunity of bhakti, which is the mercy. So, the modes are, again, very... There, our psyche is made up uh, of, of those influences, but we, you know, respond to the influences. But in, the, uh, in one way or another, but in the lower modes of nature, you, you you have that influence, and it's a covering influence. And so, the more you're covered, the more that the, the choices are presented are based on previous choices and. It's kind of like, um, it's almost almost like you don't have a choice. I mean, you, you, you do, but but you're habituated to make the same choice, so you keep making the same choice. Hmm. One keeps making the same choice. It's like having no choice. Hmm. The, the, someone is addicted to drugs, they have, they have the choice. They have to go, yep, I'm going to do it. Yep, I'm going to do it. Hmm. But but their making the choice is so influenced by the environment that it's it's almost like they can't make another choice. Now, when you come into the sattva guna, to the extent that you come in sattva guna, under sattva guna, sattva guna is 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 um, um, 
illuminating. So it starts to illuminate the atma in terms of its predicament, so it sheds light on, on the situation that I'm plugged into a virtual reality here. And, and there's me in all of this. And I'm different from that. This is the influence of sattva. And so under that influence, then there's... Because the self is more uncovered, and will is part of the jiva, inherent in the jiva, then will has more opportunity to express itself. And one starts choosing the sattvic things, right things. And then bhakti, coming under the influence of bhakti, is even more illuminating. Here, one thing you have, the jiva is animating matter. But in bhakti, bhakti is already super animate, because it's conscious, it's animate more animate than us. So it's animating an, an, the animation that, that we are. That's why we move under the influence of bhakti from the stillness of the atma, which is a, an improvement over the, let's say, moving backwards under the influence of material nature. I've likened it to quicksand. The more you move, the more you go down. Hmm? So to, to, to be still and not go down, as I've given an example before, zero is better than negative numbers. right? But now you come under bhakti, and this is this positive movement. Hmm? So po- positive, positive numbers, same idea, because bhakti is animate. So... so then in that situation, the jiva, whatever it wants happens. It's not exactly how it works here. You may want all kinds of things, whether they happen or not is is another thing. Here you have will, but a farmer desires to grow crops, so he goes and plants seeds. Well, we say, you know, nothing happens without the will of God. But the farmer has a will. He wants to plant seeds, so he plants seeds. But nothing will grow if it doesn't rain, right? The rain is beyond its control. So in the example, the rain is God's will. So if it doesn't rain, there's no crops. Hmm? Only if it rains do the crops grow. So only by God's will does anything happen. We can say that. But that doesn't mean that the farmer can't desire to grow crops and act accordingly, he can. Whether it will happen or not, that depends on the sanction of God. So you have these two things. You have this will of the jiva and you have this kind of determinism, in a sense, overriding will of God. So how can nothing happen without the will of God? And then you say, okay, everything's God's will. I didn't do nothing. I have no responsibility in anything. It's all God's doing it. No, it's not quite like that. <laughs> You're desiring some of the God, some God is sanctioning some of the desires, some of them he, he may not be. Hmm. Uh, so, as we come under then bhakti and under the will of Bhagavan, then the fact that we're a unit of will it comes out, we will, whatever we will happens. In the, in the context of the Leela, everything happens by the arrangement of the Sarup Shakti. 
It's all sanctioned. It's all. So, so there's no rasa inherent in the jiva. Hmm. Um, how would you have rasa inherent in the jiva when rasa itself requires two? Bhakti requires two. Bhakti rasa requires the ashraya lambana, the vishaya lambana, right? The shelter or the vessel of that love and the object of the love. In order for, for there to be rasa, there has to be two. The two are one in a, in a dynamic sense, as we often say. But in the jiva, how can there be rasa? There's only one. There's only the jiva. Hmm. You could say, well, God's in the jiva, in his, in his heart. Yeah, that's true. But he's there as a witness, and and the jiva is functioning in relation to material world, has material desires, he's sanctioning or permitting uh, material nature to, to get its satisfaction, its, its, its um, due reward for whatever has been taken, exploited. But um, we come and we manifest from the Mahavishnu, Mahavishnu doesn't have Sakirasa, doesn't have Madhurya Rasa, Dasya Rasa. It doesn't mean all the jivas have have Dasya Rasa. That requires knowledge of Bhagwan and and so forth. And we get the seed of Bhakti, Bhakti Lata Bij. If it's already there, what's the need for the seed? Right? So there's no there's no rasa inside the jiva. It is said that Bhagawan is rasa, rasa vaisaha, and knowing this and approaching him accordingly, one can taste rasa. So Bhagawan is rasa. That's a way also of saying Bhagawan is Radha and Krishna, if you play it out. And knowing him as such, which means approaching him then accordingly, one can taste rasa. So you have the potential to love your unit of Satchit Ananda a little bit. Hmm? Ananda is, you know, you exist, you know that you exist, and and existence is ultimately uh, joyful now that yourself is covered, and you think you're temporary, and so you struggle to exist, and you have ignorance, it appears, and you don't know, but inherently you are Satchit Ananda. Now, Ananda, being joy, joy, by its very nature, seeks to celebrate itself and share itself. So that's why we, we say love, loving, sharing. And so to, to really be all that you can be in terms of being a unit of joy, you need someone to share it with. Hmm? Love is a, is, a, is a sharing, in which, in a dynamic way, through which, in a dynamic way, the, the two become one. So this is Bhakti Rasa. It's not inherent in the jiva, but the jiva has capacity to love. Matter doesn't have the capacity to love, right? But the jiva has the capacity to know, and it exists. It's like the substratum of knowing. Hmm. And uh, it has the capacity to love. Hmm. It has no misery. 
Misery comes from identification with matter. Because then you start to think you're like matter, and then you got problems. Because no material things, forms can stay, can endure, and, and so there's a struggle and so forth. But you're not. That's a relief. So that's kind of the joy of the, of the Atma. Mm. But now, unto itself. But then if you have the connection with Bhagwan, then you can have the Bhaktiananda, instead of Atmananda. That's, and that's, that's what we mean by bhakti rasa. So there's no, no secondary rasas are no, it's not like somebody think, well, we don't have any primary rasas, but we have secondary rasas. It's just a, kind of a total misunderstanding. It's not like the secondary rasa is something material. We explained the other night, the secondary rasas have the power to dominate hmm, the stage of emotional life for some period of time mm-hmm. and and override those rasas that that those emotions that define a person in terms of their their relationship with with Krishna that um, never changed friend lover parent the secondary rasas can cause them to recede to the background. They don't go away. When you're, like I said, gave the example, rolling on the ground, holding your stomach, and crying and, and laughter, because Mona Mongol has just cracked a fantastic joke, and your belly aches from it, it doesn't mean you're no longer Krishna's friend. But it's so dominant, it just takes over the, the scene for, for a period of time. And the fact that their friends just kind of recedes to the background, something like that. And it can dominate. Hmm? The way sanchari bhavas that come and go, transitory bhavas, can't, can't dominate. Hmm? There may be jubilation, there may be uh, lamentation in the context of being a lover. Hmm? But they don't, they don't dominate in the way that... A, Secondary rasa can. So a secondary rasa is, is kind of like a primary rasa and kind of like a sanchari rasa, bhava. Kind of like a stai bhava, kind of like a sanchari bhava. They're temporary, but they're dominant. Not entirely dominant. And so, less temporary, if you will, less transitory than the sanchari bhavas. They last longer. So. Something like that. Hmm. It has nothing to do with any material experience, taste, whatever. Hmm. So, but this is a good example. The jiva is like a, like a, like a crystal. It's a unit of all kinds of potential, also. That um, some of which will be requ- requires an environment in order to be um, exercised and played out and so forth. That's why it's called tatasta. It can exist and function in either environment. Function, it can act, it can, it can be an agent of action, a doer, if there's something to do. <laughs> That's why we sometimes refer to Brahma Sayuja as a kind of a spiritual suicide. Because certain aspects of the jiva will never be 
experienced in that um, situation, that it's a doer, a qualitative experience, or an apprehender. That, that will be experienced in a quasi-sense in the material world and in the full sense in the spiritual world relative to the two environments. An inert environment that's asat, achit, nirananda means it's kind of sat, kind of, it's asat. <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of exists. Where did it go? <laughs> okay. It's kind of chit. There seems to be like something to know here. <laughs> Uh, and there's this semblance of, of ananda, joy, in relation to material things. They seem to give us pleasure, but if we keep looking at it, we see uh, it's nirananda. Hmm. It's asat, achit, nirananda. So asat, achit, and nirananda is kind of related to satchit and ananda. <laughs> uh, but then you have, then you have sandini, samvit, ladini, they mean existence, knowledge, and bliss, but the different terms are used because this is this is an, an environment that that is I would say it's animated material nature is, is not animated we're animating it lending our animated self to it and the Gita says Jiva Bhuta Mahaya Baho Yayedam there's another Shakti he says he describes the material energy Bhumarapo Vanalovayu Kamano Buddha Ahankara itiya me bina prakriti rashtada. You should know this. The makeup of the earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. This is my separated energy. Bina prakriti. Bina means separate. And then he says, Aparayam mitastanyam prakritim vidime param jiva bhuta mahabaho yahedam dharyate jagat. But there is another energy, jiva bhuta. And it is sustaining the world, maintaining the world. By its desire, it's making it go round. Mm-hmm. So the asat achit nirananda, satchit ananda. One, the latter is making the former go round, animating it, so to speak. But then you have this, this rup shakti, sambit sandini, sandini sambit ladini. It's super animated. It's animating Bhagawan. Mm-hmm. They say Brahman. There's the Shakti's not manifest, therefore it's still. Bhagavan has Sarup Shakti, so he has all these qualities and movement and and so on. So it's super animated. It can animate Bhagavan. What's speaking of what it can do to us? What type of life? Hmm. So two different environments, and the jiva can reside in, in either one. And just as we reside here and develop a personality and tastes and so on, in a perverted way, so to speak, in a, in a backwards way, with matter being the object of our attention, which is pretty hard to focus on, because again, it's, it's always it's doing this disappearing act. <laughs> and so it's disconcerting. It's like musical chairs, and you're out. Um, there's only so much and there's competition and so on and so forth. Um, so, very much what we what we think we're like here, we are like. 
But um, to realize what we are and what our potential is, we, we need a consciousness environment, not a material environment, not an asat, achit, nirananda environment. Um, it doesn't work for us. We're trying to make it work, trying to make it what we are, we're trying to make matter what we are. Now, there's another environment that's what, what, we, that's what we are and, and, and more of the same. So it's effortless there. You don't have to try to make it what you are. It's making you, by its very nature, all that you could possibly be. You're a unit of Ananda? Okay. You have a capacity to love? Love. And Bhagavan appears. An object of love that just makes you count your... Notice that you're blinking. And as the gopis say, just to give an example... How beautiful he is. So your capacity to love, I mean, how it is enhanced in that environment where, where Bhagavan is the center compared to anything that, you, you know, you see the beautiful mountain, the, the ocean, you know, the valley, you know, the stars at night, the moon, the sunset, the rainbow. And you find these examples in the Bhagavatam. Krishna appeared in Dwarka as if the sun was setting and rising at the same time and there was a rainbow and, and lightning and a thunderous sky. It was like that. <laughs> Something like that. All of these things. There was a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake. And, uh, you know, I mean, well, it's better to use the examples of the things that are beautiful. There was the sunset, the sunrise, the... Again, the the, 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 the the rainbow, the lightning against the black backdrop, the full moon, and the, uh, and so forth, all at once appearing. So if you take all the the those things in nature, probably that 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 tend to stun us in a way, to in a way of causing us to think that there's something greater than me and it's great and I can't put it in words. That type of um, epiphany is much different than seeing some guy that's a real hunk or whatever, you know. You know, one of the guys. <laughs> it's a very different, you can think, well, that's really beautiful. Whoa. You know, it's a very different experience than seeing a, you know, the sunset and just feeling small and it's big and I'm part of that and I can't have words for it. This is so these powerful um, experiences of the vastness and the the the, the beauty of the, of the of the natural environment. This is just like these are. This is talked about in the Gita, obviously, in the Bhagavatam. Just some sense of the God. The Godhead, how how extraordinary, and it can st- everything can stop, hmm. and and doesn't cause an agitation, like the other example I've I've given of a discontent. Ooh, he's she's a wow, she's hot, and and then you're discontent. It's not like that, but a content, right? Sattva, some contentment, like. Whoa, settled in, and you start to become introspective. And the outer world, 
drives you within to try to gauge what it, what it is. It's 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 the power of the Bhagwan, his, his his secondary power. And if you took that whole of the all of those powerful epiphanies of uh, such arising from such manifestations of nature and put them all together. Hmm. It doesn't compare to the experience of Bhagwan and how that facilitates the, the, the little tiny bit of ananda that you are hmm. constituted of. I mean, it's just, you know, here, we're, here if you try in relation to the material environment, you can get maybe, like I'm saying, some sense of what you are, small and 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 reverential, prayerful, in, in relation to something greater that's comforting, and it's peaceful, and wow, awesome, and hmm, something like that. Um, that if you can, can just get really a really powerful moment of material nature, you could get some semblance. Of, we, so we're trying to get hmm, out of inanimate matter hmm, something that you know there are there's some chance to get something from it indirectly in the ways that I'm I'm talking about. Hmm. But if you put yourself you're blessed then and you take advantage of the spiritual environment you meet Bhagwan. oh my god what capacity you have now to to be a unit of Ananda capacity to to love it's so the environment is just it just facilitates you beyond you're trying to turn the material environment into something like that, to make it work for you as an object of a love. You're trying to love, in a way. It's coming out backwards. You're really taking. But in a sense, you're trying to be what you are, a pleasure seeker, but it's coming out in an ugly, ugly way. In a broader sense, we seek what we are, but in relation to matter, it's just 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 an uphill. It's going up the down escalator. It's not happening, and that environment is like the roller coaster. <laughs> Hop on, and there you go. Compared to even going up the, up the up escalator, okay, now it's just hop on, like a roller coaster where you will go. Hmm. So it's such a conducive environment. We want to, therefore, we we make effort to come under that environment, and then the will functions, and everything happens. So everything you want happens. Hmm. What do you want? How pleases God. Everyone is benefited. Everyone is nourished. Krishna is pleased, and all. So. Yajiva has great potential. We don't want to, we don't mean to say by saying that bhakti is not inherent, that jiva, rasa is not in jiva, that uh, speak about it in a way that makes it sound um, lacking. 
in some way. It's, it has potential to, to live in, in Krishna Leela. <laughs> it's pretty good. You couldn't get much better than that. Mm-hmm. But bhakti is not inherent in Jiva. Bhakti is, only comes from bhakti. You get bhakti from devotees. You can't just sit down, be introspective under the influence of sattva guna, and determine, oh, I'm I'm a, a, a gopi of Krishna, and this is what I, this is not happening. By the sattva guna, again, you can you the influence of sattva guna will is clarity, causes introspection, self reflection. Everybody does that. Satvaguna is in everybody's life to one extent or another. Now to cultivate that, to culture that. So you could find a Socrates or something like this, a philosopher or something. You know. Some of them are pretty Thomasic these days, but uh, with their conclusions in one sense. But anyway, introspection, um, it's, 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 it's sattvic. If, if that's honed according to the scripture and so forth and uh, disciplines that are prescribed there have been very high form of sattvic influence reveals the self. Yeah. Someone wrote to me and said something, a quote from Pope John Paul, somebody, some number after his name, describing the soul as being you know, not something that's embodied something that leaves something behind, but it's everything about the person. God breathes the soul into the man at the time of conception, and everything that he is, is a soul. It's the material manifestation of himself. And so it was a very rajasic conception of the soul, much of which has to be left behind, and much of which the explanation, in my estimation, completely makes no sense then to have Catholic mystics that were uh, renunciates. What are they renouncing? If everything that they are is their, their emotional life, their, their, is, their, is their soul. Of course, leaves animals out of the picture too. They didn't get the breath of, of God. So there's rajasic conceptions of the soul. Gita says, inability to distinguish between matter and consciousness. This is and the Rajas influence, Thomas even worse, to conflate one with the other, perhaps. So, what sattva brings to kind of clarity. Help you with that? Yeah, thank you. Very comprehensive. Yeah. Okay. What time is it? Okay. Good discussion. Just up there. She's going to the end of the job. She's going to the end of the job.